welcome to the True Tabernacle podcast channel. We hope that you find encouragement and inspiration during one of our sermons, discussions, or interviews. For more information regarding our faith community, connect with us on Facebook at our True Tabernacle page. And while you're at it, hit subscribe to this channel to stay connected. of the Lord that's in this place. Do you feel that? You feel the presence of the Lord? Amen, amen, amen. Genesis 11, 1 through 9, and Acts 2, 1 through 4. I stand here tonight challenged by the word of the Lord. There is a weight that I have carried with this message. I would rather preach on prayer and fasting, but I feel uh, through through what I perceive to be confirmations from the Lord that this is the, the direction I should go. And so I want to obey the Lord. Amen. Genesis 11, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. Everybody say one. They have all one language. This they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did confound their language of all the earth. From thence did the Lord scatter them abroad. From the face of the earth in Acts chapter 2, very familiar passage to us. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Everybody say one. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, everybody say all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. I feel very challenged tonight to speak on this topic. 2021 O-N-E or 2021 W-O-N. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for the presence that we feel in this place. God, you are so good. I'm thankful for your word tonight. I pray, God, that you would anoint your vessel to speak what you would have us to hear. Anoint my lips, anoint my mind. Lord, I pray as your word would go forth, that it would not return void, but that you would accomplish in our lives 
whatsoever you desire for us to be accomplished tonight. Help us, Jesus, not just to be stirred by your word, but to be changed and transformed by your word. We're expecting great things tonight. Your word is forever settled in heaven, and we stand upon the promises of God. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in this place. If you're going to help me preach tonight, why don't you clap your hands one more time all across this room. can be seated in Jesus' name. As we quickly approach the end of 2020, I found myself reflecting on the year with so much turmoil and chaos. And I looked into the future of a new year. A new year often signifies new beginnings, new possibilities, new habits, Perhaps some in here tonight set goals or resolutions. Anybody got some goals you want to accomplish this year? Maybe you wanted to read more books or perhaps you wanted to get in a little better shape or at least drink a little less pop. Can I get an amen? The popular phrase, year, new me, comes to mind when we think of all that the new year brings. But this new year especially brought with it a sense of hopeful optimism as we all in this room desperately needed a fresh start. And uh, I saw this meme on Facebook where we get all of our wisdom these days, Brother Howard. And it, uh, it struck a chord for me. And I don't know who shared it, but I did a quick web search. And I, there was an actress who was the original author. And the post went something like this. Does anyone else feel troubled by the fact that the name... Next year is literally 2021, W-O-N. And at first I laughed at the irony, 2021, as if the next year had to pay homage to the terrible last year. And then I thought of the hopelessness that the world faces each and every day. A world without the hope of Jesus feels overwhelmed by the consistent negativity, with the woes brought in by the continuous stream of negative media, it is no wonder that depression and anxiety are at all-time highs. But I believe as the church, we do not have to submit to the idea that 2021, I don't believe we are obligated to live with a sense of defeat, despite all the chaos that last year brought. It's not a statement of self-confidence, it's a statement of God-confidence. Because I stand reminded of the words spoken over 2,000 years ago by Jesus to the Apostle Peter when he proclaimed in Matthew 16, Upon the rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. For those here tonight that have obeyed the Acts 2.38 message of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Spirit, I've come to remind us that promise stands for us too. For we are the generation to whom the ends of the world have come, but we are not a defeated generation. We are not a watered-down version of what Jesus Christ intended for his church to be. But we are the church of the living God, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Yet as 
hopeful as I am about the prospects of victory in this hour. I do believe there is a reason for cautious self-reflection for us as the body of Christ. See, we started 2020 with a fresh vision. It was a popular theme for us. Vision 2020. The congregation followed four words given by pastor. Know, go, sow, and grow. There was so much anticipation for this theme as we anxiously waited for this new theme to take hold in our hearts. Other churches followed a theme of vision as well as pastors took the opportunity to play on 2020 and establish a year of clarity and vision. But just as the momentum of the year began and we pursued this vision, March happened and the world seemed to suddenly stop. Life as we knew it changed as protocols and restrictions, illness and even death swept into our own nation. But here's what stood out to me and wait all of this week. Isn't it interesting how a year proclaimed a vision was hijacked by the enemy and quickly transformed into a year of division? The power of unity is prevalent in Scripture. In fact, Brother Holly preached a powerful message on unity not long ago from Psalm 123. Behold! How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We are told that one could put a thousand to flight and two, ten thousand. Without question, the Lord desires a spirit of unity. In our opening text in Genesis 11, we see an explicit example of how important the Lord views unity. According to the Genesis account, the post-flood world was made up of one group of people. These people spoke the same language. There were no barriers present for communication. In their creativity and ingenuity, the people decided that they were going to build a tower to reach to the heavens. This tower next to the city would be so high that the gods, they thought, could come down. But listen to the reasoning for this venture. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name. This tower wasn't meant to honor God. This tower's construction was rooted in self-interest and self-glorification. Hear me tonight, if our motives for reaching God are about making a name for ourselves, we are headed down a dangerous path. Our desire for God, for His church, and for any ministry which He gives must be rooted and grounded in His glory and His alone. Come on, He said, I am the Lord. That is my name and I will not share my glory with another. So we have to make sure that our desire is to bring glory to Jesus Christ alone. So he looks down and he sees this unity. And the Lord understands. He says, if they continue, nothing will be restrained from them. He was essentially saying the, the people are joined together. And when they unify, they can't be stopped. What a powerful revelation of how important God views this concept of unity. The problem with the Bible story is that they must uni- they unified behind 
the wrong purpose. Right actions, wrong reasons. So we read where God confounds their language and divides the people that day. And then we fast forward into Acts chapter 2. And we love here at True Tabernacle what happened in Acts chapter 2. That's when the church, the New Testament church is born. But what does Babel have to do with Pentecost? Well, one scholar notes that Pentecost was actually a reversal of Babel. God reversed the curse. At Babel, the Lord divided the people because of their purpose. But at Pentecost, the people assembled together not to make a name for themselves, but to wait for the promise of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, the Spirit enters the equation, and they begin to speak in a heavenly language. Is there anybody in the building that is thankful for the experience of the day of Pentecost? Is there anybody here that's got joy in your heart because of the Spirit of God? And we stand here today as a testament to what Peter said. For the promise is unto you and unto your children and to those who are afar off. That's you and me. And we stand here today being as many as the Lord our God shall call. But I want us to look... At what preceded this miraculous reunification. Scripture tells us they were in a prayer meeting. And they were waiting together. Prayerfulness and togetherness were the key ingredients to the promise of His power. It wasn't simply a moment of unity. It wasn't just a day of prayer. But unity and prayer became the environment for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Here's what I want us to catch tonight. It was unity and prayer. It was both. Prayer was not enough to call down the promise of His Spirit. But there was a togetherness that they had in the upper room. And these 20 days of prayer and fasting are the perfect ingredients for an outpouring from heaven on this congregation. But if we want Pentecost in middle we can't just have prayer, but we've got to have unity. We've got to share a common purpose. A common purpose to see souls saved, to see prodigals come home, to see cancers fall off, to see families mended. Is there anybody in the building that wants the attention of heaven? You see, in March we experienced... This pandemic in a way we never imagined. Shutdowns took place. Maybe some here tonight even experienced layoffs. The church no longer could meet in person. We all shared the same thoughts. What in the world is going on? How, how is this happening? In April and May we see a slow reopening of the country and the economy. 
And it brought with it questions of restrictions, Brother Howard. And wouldn't you know it, the enemy used this as a wedge of division. Pro-face mask or anti-face mask. Something as simple as a face mask got people fighting each other. And society pressured us to take sides. And so instead of giving our brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt, many of us chose to use a stance on a face mask as an indictment of character. This is not meant to be pro or anti-face mask. I think we need to follow the protocols so we can get past this thing one day. My point is simply that the church has allowed, the North American church has allowed a divisiveness that came from society to slowly and systematically creep into our midst. And if that wasn't bad enough, there was something that happened in November. We had a pretty contentious election. Republican, Democrat, Independent, pick a side. It's what culture told us to do. Pick a side. And I realize that this topic is filled with emotion and passion. I realize the idea of certain freedoms and liberties feel as though they weigh in the balance. And maybe they do. But we are the church. And we are going to make it. And everything... And everything is going to be just fine. Come on, is there anybody that believes that the church is on the winning side? Anybody believe that we have the victory? We're not going to let an election defeat us, but we stand firm on the promise of God. Hear me tonight. I want to be very, very clear. Because I know pastor will yank my chain. We should participate in our elections. We should do our part and exercise our freedoms. And while I personally have my own political leanings and beliefs, the fact that politics has destroyed the Christian capacity to demonstrate the love of Christ for so many is an indictment of the near political idolatry that some of us have allowed to slip in our hearts. We post statuses without regard to the division we know it's going to cause. We like, we share, and we comment because it's our American right. But here is a question I must ask myself. What about my responsibility to Jesus? What about my obligation to show the love of God? And I'll stand right here and say this, regardless of if your candidate won or lost, our mission as the church has not changed. And I can assure you without a shadow of a doubt that there has never been, nor will there ever be a president that has shed one drop of blood for my sins. 
and even if they tried, it wouldn't be necessary. The blood of the spotless lamb of God has already paid the price. Our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and Him alone. And it's time. It's time that the church wakes from the slumber and realizes. Hear me tonight. Politicians come and go. Nations prosper and die and even empires rise and fall but Jesus Christ still reigns victorious he still sits on the throne he still has all power in heaven and earth Come on, it's time we, we make a stand tonight. I refuse to bow to the altar of political idolatry. I refuse to put my hope and trust in a man or woman who never shed one drop of blood. If you tell me I have to choose, I choose Jesus. Come on, anybody in this place, choose Jesus. Anybody in this place, put your trust and faith in the one who paid it all. I don't say this tonight. To bring up negative emotions or to reopen wounds. I'd like to leave most of that in 2020. The problem was the division didn't stop in 2020. Just a few weeks ago, Brother Howard, we saw the incident at the Capitol. Wherever you land on that issue is between you and God. But if we thought that the chaos was going to end when we flipped that calendar from the 31st to the 1st, we quickly realized it's not about a calendar. It's about our attitudes and our actions. In a year that can be defined as divide and conquer, the church must shout back, unify or die. We're only going to fulfill the mandate of heaven if the body of Christ joins together with a made-up mind and puts all of hell on notice, we are one. Paul addresses this, this issue of oneness in the body. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, For as the body is one and hath many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be upper class or lower class, whether we be white or black or brown, we are one body. And so, 
So there we have it. Different people, different personalities, different social classes, different ethnicities, different upbringings, different political affiliations. One body. And I want to go to Matthew 24. It says, and you shall hear wars of rumors of wars. You shall... And see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not dead. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. Don't be confused about it, church. We may face hard days. We are not promised a white picket fence until the rapture. There will be affliction. And then in verse 10, And then many shall be offended and shall betray one another, shall hate one another. And I had this in my notes before Pastor preached it this morning. I'll just use that as confirmation. What a, what a striking, strikingly similar picture to the world we are in today. Wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. That word for nation, I'm sure you know, is ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnicity. And so the sin of racism we see and the division in this country between white and black is a testament to the authenticity of the statements given by Jesus that day. Nation will rise against nation. We see the famines and the, and the pestilence and the earthquake. Just turn on the news for a few minutes. You'll see it. But, but verse 10 is what stuck out to me. And then many shall be offended. I know we live in a different world. and I know we need to be mindful of how we say certain things. The term politically correct has become a staple in our vernacular as a way to avoid being offensive to others. But listen to me tonight, church. The possession of an offended spirit is evidence that we are influenced by this end time age. We have to alter our minds and our hearts and avoid offense like the plague. And scripture says, seek and ye shall find. So if I look for an offense, guess what? It's going to be there. First, many will be offended. But after offense, Scripture says, comes betrayal. And after betrayal, comes hatred. First John 3 talks about hatred in this way. Listen to this. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer. Who's a murderer? The one who hates his brother, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, one of the major causes of division in the church today is offense. But it's not a 21st century problem. It happened in the first century. We see Acts 15. 
demonstrates the new territory of division that began the church began to experience. The church was expanding, and with more people came more problems. Let me stop right here and say revival is going to ruffle some feathers. When we start to experience the end time harvest that God intends for this church to experience, to participate in, the increase in numbers of people that don't look like us, it's going to bring some different personalities, different belief systems, and more issues. It happened to the apostles, it'll happen to us. But the issue of their day was the Gentile inclusion into the Christian movement. See, at the beginning, Christianity was mainly Jewish. Jewish habits, customs were kept in most cases. As Jewishness was not just a religion, but an ethnicity. However, the conversion of Cornelius in Acts 10 broke ethnic barriers. And shattered the church's expectation of what the people of God would look like. So the apostles gathered together in Jerusalem in Acts 15 to make some important decisions of what aspects of Judaism to keep. We don't know. I'm sure the debates may have been contentious. There's no record of it, but we know James, the brother of Jesus, stood up and gave the final word. Division was certainly in the air during the period of time as Paul and Barnabas planned their future missionary journey. We read the following account in Acts 15, 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas did to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take with him who departed from Pamphylia and went not with them to work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. What a strange series of events. Paul and Barnabas spent every waking moment together evangelizing their known world and making a profound impact for the sake of the gospel. And yet a disagreement over a traveling companion shattered what God had ordained and unified for His glory. In order to understand Paul's reluctance, one must first travel back to Acts 13. It says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. John Mark had joined the dynamic duo once before, and for whatever reason, he abruptly returned home before the mission was completed. One will never know why. There's speculation of homesickness, or perhaps maybe... John Mark wanted to report Paul's mishandling of Jewish customs for new converts. Whatever the case for the abandoned, it was clear that Paul's offense caused a feeling of betrayal. Acts reported that the contention was so sharp that the affected duo separated and went their own ways, each with a different traveling companion. Think about that for a moment. Paul, the greatest apostle humankind has ever known. The reason Christianity spread at the rapid and successful rate that it did in his day. Paul, the the one who preached to the pagans on Mars Hill. The one who experienced shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and starvation for the sake of the gospel. That apostle, 
allowed a spirit of offense to cause a divide between him and Barnabas. We don't know the outcome of his relationship with Barnabas. One can only hope for reconciliation somewhere down the line. But in a personal letter to his young protege Timothy, in what most scholars believe was Paul's final letter, he pens these words under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he has departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens unto Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. In his final days on earth, Paul desired to set the record straight and remind the world, Mark is profitable to me for the ministry. The same Mark that abandoned the first missionary journey. The same Mark that caused Paul and Barnabas to split up. The same Mark, Paul said, I need him. Folks, the biggest reason for division in the church is our inability to forgive. Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness. He said, Lord, how, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? He thought that was a lot. Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus was not saying, forgive him 490 times. And then on 491, you can keep the grudge. He was saying innumerable forgiveness. And here's where we can be like Peter. We're willing to forgive a few times. But after a while, and that person keeps rubbing you the wrong way. And they didn't say hi to you in the vestibule. And they posted something you didn't like. Our patience begins to wear thin. There's an undeniable power that comes when we demonstrate a lifestyle of forgiveness. When it becomes more than just an action but an actual way of life. And believe me, I don't preach this insinuating that it's easy. I know it's easier said than done. But it's in the book. Our unforgiveness impacts our ability to love our brother and sister in the Lord. So what if I told you that forgiveness was a matter of life and death? You would probably think, okay, Brother Tyler, kind of settle down. It's a bit hyperbolic. But listen to 1 John 3, 14. 
we know that we have passed from death to life because we speak in tongues. Because we go to church prayer. Because we, we pay our tithes. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And anyone who does not love remains, abides, lives in death. Forgiveness. It's not easy. Forgiveness. I wonder... How many in this room are holding on to something that happened to you as a child? Something that wasn't your fault. Something that you didn't deserve. And someone that you loved and trusted hurt you. And you've been holding on to it for decades. And you can't figure out why... You keep struggling in your spiritual life. But I want you to know that forgiveness is not just for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. I know it's, it's not easy. So my title tonight was 2021 or 2020. One. The choice is ours. We decide. Is it going to be a year of oneness? A year of unity? Because if not, we are agreeing that 2020 won. That 2020 defeat us. That we let the junk that was going on in the world enter the church, impact our minds, damage our spiritual lives. You know, I probably shouldn't go there here, but I'm going to. I love online church. I love that we have this resource available. And if you are watching online, thank you so much for joining us. We love you. But here's the problem with online service. Is it can convince us sometimes that it's a replacement for here. And if you're not here because of healthcare worker susceptible you're good. We're not, we're not talking about you. But some people, some people think that they can do this without interacting with this. And we start saying things like, I love God. I just hate people. That's not a, that's not, I'm not throwing darts. I've said it. I'm not throwing darts. But, but where in our minds... Did we fool ourselves into believing that we can love Jesus and hate his body? We need each other. We're, we're not going to make it without each other. And I can't allow a, a silly issue, Brother Anthony, cause a division in me. Between us and an offense in my spirit. Because here's what offense does. 
creates a nasty wound. And when you don't allow forgiveness to step in, that wound begins to fester and get infected. And all of a sudden, you don't just have the wound of offense, but you've got bitterness and hatred inside of you. And it's killing you day by day spiritually. You may just not know it yet. So here is what forgiveness does. It takes that offense and it begins to clean it out. And you begin to release the junk. It it may not be your fault. You may have been truly wronged. But if you don't clean that offense out, I'm telling you, unforgiveness will send many of churchgoers to a devil's hell because they allowed themselves to believe that they can hold on to this bitterness and hatred towards their brother. But I'm here to proclaim and let the enemy know, not at this church. We're not doing that. We're going to love each other. We're going to join together. God's got great things in store. God's got too many promises on us for us to allow petty disagreements to destroy the church. But we're going to rise. We're going to have revival. We're going to see growth. Come on, if you believe that, clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. I'm I'm closing. If you could stand with me. I'm sorry. I know I went a little bit too long, but just let me give me one more moment. I felt this morning when I woke up as I was getting ready for AM service. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for a church and a pastor that's committed to apostolic doctrine that's derived from the book. This is a truth-preaching, Bible-believing church. And here is what I pondered as I close. We've got the revelation of the oneness. But do we have the revelation of the oneness? We know who Jesus is. We know that the God of the universe stepped into town. Stepped into time in the world that he created. We've got that covered. But is there a oneness in the body? Or are we holding on to offense and bitterness and unforgiveness and hurt that is causing us to be hindered spiritually? I want to close tonight. I'm going to open up these altars and maybe you feel like this, this isn't for you. If that, I'm sorry if not. Ask the Lord tonight to to open doors for you to share the love of God. But I believe that there are some people in this room that are on spiritual life support. And you barely made it here tonight because of an offense in your heart over a brother or a sister.
there is at least one person here tonight that you barely made it here. But I've got good news that the cross is available. That we find forgiveness of our sins at the cross. And not just of our sins, but He empowers us to forgive those who have hurt us. So I wonder tonight as we open up these altars. I don't want to beg. You don't have to come to the front if you, you don't feel comfortable with it. But I want to open up these altars for those who are battling things that maybe nobody knows about. That has caused division and disunity. Those things that you're hanging on to maybe for years or even decades. Why don't you find a place at this altar and once and for all put hell on notice and let them know I'm not leaving here with this junk. I give it over to Jesus. I give it over to him tonight for him to take it and for me to leave it at the altar. If that's you, why don't you come to the front tonight and give it all to him. Come on, there's power in forgiveness. 